Welcome to the HTH Church Podcast. We are a church in the heart of Hastings whose desire is to build communities of people who are so passionate about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and joining in with what Jesus is doing, that lives, families, and communities are changed and transformed one at a time. On this podcast, you can keep up to date with the latest talks from our Sunday services, as well as additional bonus episodes, which include conversations, interviews, devotions, and much more. If you'd like to find out more about the church, you can visit our website, hthchurch.org. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy this episode. So what are we to make of a story like this one in Luke chapter 7? How should we respond to a story like this when every time we switch on the news, there's so much division, so much destruction, so much death? There's another insurrection, another prime minister, another stabbing, another acid attack, another wildfire, another famine, another drought, another epidemic, another shooting. What are we to make of this story when just yesterday, as we've been praying, Putin's war against Ukraine raged past its two-year milestone, that grim milestone, a war in which thousands of sons have been lost and thousands of widows grieve. What are we to make of a story like this in light of a world like ours? Because surely the most rational response to the horrors that we witness when we switch on our our TVs and, and turn on the news or we look at our phones, the most rational response is despair. Or perhaps if we can't stomach despair, we'll go for denial. Perhaps that's why some of us are here today. I hope it's a minority, but perhaps you're here because the church is a a sanctuary away from the horrors of the world, a place to forget, a place to wait it out until Jesus returns. Or perhaps if despair and denial don't work for you, then maybe nihilism, the philosophical belief that everything is just meaningless. Perhaps nihilism is actually the sanest and most honest response to a story like this. And yeah, that's right. That's right. But only if God is not up to something in the world. I venture that most of us are here today, in fact, because we believe that God is indeed up to something in the world. That's why I'm here. And welcome to the minority. Uh, Church of England churches, we just found out, are emptying at record speeds in the last um, five years alone. We've seen a, a drop in attendance, about 200,000 people. So you are here, you're, the, you're in the 95th percentile of people that go to a Church of England church, well done. And seeing as you are here, I don't want to waste your time or beat around the bush in handing over the goods to you and announcing to you the awe-inducing gospel of God's grace to you this morning. Just as the crowd say, God has visited this place, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the risen and ascended and fully alive Jesus Christ, says to each and every single person dead in sin, I say to you, rise. That's the gospel of God's grace. 
And we find our Lord, who's ever on the move, uh, outside a town called Nain. It's the third town so far in Jesus' active ministry to be named in Luke's gospel. Other towns are mentioned, but they're not named. Nain is the third town. And like the first town that is mentioned, which is Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, Nain is an obscure little town of minimal significance. So we can just as well ask the question, can anything good come from Nain? Can anything good come from Nain? Most of our modern translations of this passage uh, miss out a word that Luke includes in the Greek because it doesn't make a lot of sense to include it. It usually goes, and as I read it, it says, soon afterward he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went with him as he approached the gate of the town and so on. But the original Greek would go more like this. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And behold, and look, Luke says, look at what is happening. Look, Luke addresses us, he urges us as though we're one of the crowd in that moment. So imagine, if you will, you are one of the crowd. Luke is saying to you, look. He invites us into the story. Look, behold, Pay attention. God is about to do something. And at first, it would appear that the answer to the question, can anything good come from Nain, is simply no. When as we look unto Nain, we're met with the saddest and most desperate sight of all, a parent burying their child. Luke has drawn us into the crowd that Jesus has with him. And we're tagging along because this guy, Jesus, he's exciting. He's a great preacher. He's a healer. Rumor has it he has something of the divine about him. And even Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, are not fully aware yet or don't fully realize that not only does Jesus just have something about the divine about him, he is the divine. He is God. And perhaps looking unto Nain and the slow procession of mourners bewailing the death of this woman's only son, we hear murmurs in the crowd. Well, this is a bit of a killjoy. This was quite exciting until this moment. And these days, and up until fairly recently actually, these days we, we, we prefer not to think or, or, or we don't come across death as much as, say, 100 years ago or as much as, say, 2,000 years ago. Back then, it was a part of a normal part of life. This was an everyday occurrence. There'd be a funeral happening, someone had died, and everyone would see it. So they'd be thinking, come on, Nazarene. There's there's nothing to see here. There's nothing to do here. This boy is dead. Come on, let's, let's move on. Let's get to the good stuff. Perhaps the disciples, who Jesus' closest friends, are saying to him, yeah, Lord, we've been walking for so long uh, from town to town. We're tired, and why don't we just go into the town? Let's Come on, Yeshua, let's, let's get something to eat and drink, and you can teach us there. But Jesus has stopped. Jesus is looking. Jesus is beholding this widow. The widow who has not lost not only her husband, but also her only son. In a patriarchal society like the ancient Near East, uh, this would have meant that she was bereft not only of her only child, it was also the sign of God's covenant blessing to her, but also her last remaining male protector. 
she would have been destitute. In the Bible, widow is shorthand for the bottom of the pile. The bottom of the pile. But as the author of creation, the one true Israelite, the voice of the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus stops and beholds the widow. He looks to the widow. And perhaps he had the, the, the Hebrew top 150 running through his mind with lyrics like, the Lord upholds the widow and the fatherless in Psalm 146. Or as the psalmist sings elsewhere, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation, Psalm 68. Or perhaps Jesus is also recalling the words of the prophets, show kindness and mercy to one another and do not oppress the widow, Zechariah 7, verse 9. Plead the widow's case, Isaiah says. Or maybe still, he's got running through his mind, the law that he once gave to his servant Moses that he himself fulfills, which orders Israel, God's people, to not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. That's Exodus 22. Jesus beholds the widow. And Luke's Jesus, among these synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're all very similar. They're called, uh, that's why they call the synoptics. Luke's Jesus is nowhere near as emotional as Matthew and Mark's Jesus is. So when Luke mentions an emotion of Jesus, you know you're, you're really meant to pay attention to what's going on. The salty tears of compassion are gathering in his corneas as Jesus looks upon the grieving widow of Nain just as when the Spirit had hurled Jesus out into the wilderness after his baptism. Jesus again now is moved. He is moved with compassion. He leaves behind his own crowd and steps towards the widow's crowd. And note well, again, just to refer back a few weeks ago when we looked at another passage about healing and faith. No one has asked Jesus to do this. There's no one crying out to Jesus, come and, come, and, come and do something about this. Jesus does not require your faith. Jesus does not require your repentance. Jesus does not require your love to move towards you and redeem you. For while we were still sinners, for while we did not have faith, while we did not have repentance, while we did not have love for Jesus, he died for us. This is sheer grace. This is just what Jesus does without being asked. And I think it's unlikely at this point, but maybe one or two among the crowd with Jesus, maybe one or two of his followers, perhaps one of the disciples, they began to notice something here. This seems familiar. This is like something I've read. Jesus is walking like one of the prophets. Maybe some of the crowd who had dared to journey with him since his apparent failed attempt at preaching in his hometown where they tried to throw him off a cliff. Perhaps they had heard his sermon in the Nazareth synagogue. Jesus there in Nazareth claims Isaiah's manifesto for his own. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Just after he has claimed that manifesto, Jesus can't keep his mouth shut, as is his habit, and continued the sermon. And he says, there were many widows in Israel 
in the time of Elijah. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath. Back then, in Elijah's time, when the people of God were not ruled by a foreign uh, regime, by the empire, as they were at this point, by the empire of Rome, uh, they were ruled instead by their own monarchy, albeit corrupt. God sent the great troubler of Israel, as he's called, the prophet Elijah, to the Gentile wastelands at Zarephath. At the gate of that city, Elijah looked and saw there a pagan widow and her young pagan son. God told Elijah to stay with this widow and her son, and the widow's son eventually became so ill that the text in 1 Kings tells us that there was no spirit left in him. He had died. And just as the widow's son at Nain is carried on his funeral bier, Elijah carries the widow's son at Zarephath to his resting place in an upper room of the house. And there, hardly knowing what to do, Elijah lays the boy's body out and then in an act of sheer desperation just does something very strange. He lays himself down over this corpse. Not once, not twice, but three times, fully covering the corpse of this widow's young boy. Perhaps unbeknownst to him, Elijah laid himself down, covering this boy's body once in the name of the Father, twice in the name of the Son, and three times in the name of the Holy Spirit. And the boy was raised. And Elijah gave him to his mother, who declared, I know that you are a man of God. The Lord's word, the Lord's word in your mouth is true. Who is the Lord's word? It's Jesus. So Jesus has left his own crowd of followers, and he's joined the other crowd. But his intent is not to join in the procession, join in the morning, but to put an end to it. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is a pretty terrible party guest. Don't invite Jesus to a party anytime soon, because he will come and ruin it. Whether it's uh, offending his own mother at a wedding, or annoying his Pharisaic hosts at a dinner party that he's been invited to as a guest of honor, or bringing that weird plus one who wears too much perfume and cries a lot, or disrupting a wake, Jesus is not a good party guest. He seems to know no shame. Jesus, like the so-called uh, tank man, the unnamed rebel who in 1989, in an act of defiance, stood in front of the line of tanks in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, brings this funeral procession to a halt. The harbingers of death are stopped dead in their tracks. The one who weeps at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who weeps in Gethsemane on that fateful night before his arrest, torture, and crucifixion, he now shows us a foretaste of what John the Revelator saw that future day that we all long and hope for when God will wipe away every tear. God will wipe away every tear. God himself will wipe away every tear. That's Revelation 21. With one outstretched hand, he gently lifts the downcast widow's face, wipes away her grief, and with the simple words, do not 
weep. As the psalmist says, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And with the other hand outstretched, Jesus touches the buyer of the widow's son. And in the very same voice with which the entire universe was brought forth out of nothing, he calls forth life from the nothingness of death, saying to this young man, rise. That's the gospel in one word. Rise. I say to you, rise, before placing this man, now alive and well, into the embrace of his mother. So what are we to make of a story like this in light of a world like ours? Well, the simple fact of the story in fact, the witness of the entire Bible is that Jesus never meets a corpse that does not rise. Jesus never meets a corpse that does not rise. Whether it be this widow's son at Nain, whether it be um, Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus, whether it be Jairus's daughter, whether it be even, yes, the widow's son at Zarephath in 1 Kings, they all rise from the dead. Not because Jesus is somehow magic or because he's pulled a number on them, but because Jesus simply has that effect on death. The effect of Jesus on death is resurrection. Jesus is not just the one who was resurrected. He is resurrection he is both the subject of resurrection and the verb. The Jesus whose touch has never failed to raise the dead, who gives this once dead son to his mother, is no different from the Jesus who at the final future of this world will raise us all and cast us into his Father's loving embrace. Thanks for tuning in to the HTH Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with someone you think would appreciate it? And be sure to subscribe to our channel to get notified when new episodes are published. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.